0: Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page, so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. folks and welcome to this episode of story wagon and we have a special guest here I have a friend a colleague that i've known for a while uh, she's a chaplain uh, her name is tabitha um, so tabitha welcome
1: thank you jose it's <laughs> delightful to be here
0: so uh yeah so tabitha you you've done a lot of work in uh, in chaplaincy and a lot of with grief work and and so i kind of want to talk with you about that um, those issues and so one of the first questions I usually ask our guest is what is your definition of spiritual?
1: So my definition of spiritual or spirituality uh-huh. is what we seek that brings us hope, mm-hmm. that brings us comfort, that helps us through difficult times, um, that that just makes us feel like we're accepted. And loved, uh, that we're cared for—that helps us feel like we belong to something or someone. Okay, that's a for me. That's a big part of spirituality.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, in your work, can you tell us a little bit uh, what you do and where you do it, and like, how does that definition help you within your line of work?
1: Sure. So, um, I work in interim ministry for churches. I've done a couple of different interims here in the last year. And that helps because I think a big part of interim ministry is chaplaining, at the church, which is a little different um, from normal settled pastor kind of stuff. Because people's anxiety is higher when their pastor is gone. Uh, they kind of don't know what the future looks like. I think none of us really know what the future looks like, but when we're, we're under this illusion. That we do know. Mm -hmm. And so when there's a pastor that leaves, sometimes people kind of, I feel like they kind of panic a little bit. And um, I feel like a big part of what I do is just simply chaplaining people. Um, Like it's going to be okay. You know, you're still a community without your pastor. Um, It's going to be all right. And how is it going to be all right? What kind of work are you going to do in the meantime? Mm -hmm. And then I'm a chaplain in a local medical facility. and um, the patient population there, I work with veterans,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, so again, some sometimes by this time I see the veterans they're struggling with what hope is, um, is God still in my life, um, have I lived in a way that. Um, makes me feel guilt or shame. right? And so those are a lot of things that I talk about with people who have um, different kinds of, sometimes different kinds of issues that are associated with, with veterans mm-hmm. in their care.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. And then you wrote, you wrote a book. <coughs> I did. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your book and what the title is?
1: Well, I co-edited a book with Reverend Joy Freeman, who's a chaplain up at North Kansas City Hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's called Still a Mother um, Journeys Through Perinatal Bereavement, published through Judson Press in 2016. Mm-hmm. And it's a book about miscarriage and perinatal grief and infant loss. Mm. And um, a group of clergy women, we each contribute a chapter, and it moves a person from First trimester through the death of a young infant. Wow. And each clergy woman talks about her experience, her personal experience, how it affected her ministry, how it affected her theology, um, and uh, how she lives with that grief.
0: Yeah. So. in in, in that book, do you guys describe uh, grief? Like, like, give a definition of grief?
1: Well, it would be particular to each woman's experience, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there are some commonalities with grief, but also grief is a very individual thing. Right. Uh, One thing I think that would be a commonality with grief is that it never goes away.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, in our culture, we are so prone to impatience, and we don't... um, as a chaplain, we talk a lot about process. You know, you're a chaplain. You know all about process mm-hmm. and, and that we work through things and it takes time. But grief doesn't have an end. There's not a day when you wake up and say, oh, I'm not grieving anymore because that loss still happened. Right. So grief is always with us. It's kind of, I like to think of it as how do we learn to live with it? You know, how is it in our life? and what's our new normal after that. A lot of the women in this book talk about what their new normal was, because we can't ever go back. We can't go back to a time before we were a bereaved mother. Right. That's impossible,
0: Yeah. so. And you can kind of put that into application to other types of grief with people that maybe lost a child after mm-hmm. the fact or you know, a close yep. loved one especially when we're rolling into the holiday season um, seems like grief always comes back around for folks you know they might have been dealing well yep and then the holidays roll around is like first Christmas without so-and-so or yeah absolutely so how do you help people through that process
1: well I think one of the ways to help is to listen to people Mm -hmm. to hear their stories Uh, miscarriage in particular what women find, and men too, and I'll I'll get to that maybe in a minute, but what people find is that other people don't wanna listen to those stories, Mm. you know? Um, For, I mean, who even knows why, but there are a myriad of reasons why people have difficulty hearing somebody's story about miscarriage or abortion, termination, infant loss, stillbirth. Uh, Those are all really tender topics, Um, but also, I think people forget that true compassion is simply sitting with someone and hearing what their story is right and for as few resources as there are for women, I think there are even less for men
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to be able to to talk about their experience as bereaved parents
0: right and so um did you come across different stories within your uh, prenatal uh, miscarriage stories about men grieving for the children that could have, you know, sort of thing?
1: Um, so when I was going through, so my first, it was 2003, and in that year I experienced two miscarriages mm-hmm. and I had cancer. Oh, wow. So those two things are really intertwined for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can't really separate the grief of those. And the, they they are connected.
2: Right.
1: Um, but I know that my husband has talked about how he didn't have anybody to talk to. You know, none of his... None of our friends in our friend group had children. And none of them had experienced miscarriage. And generations that are older than us, that's a secret you keep.
2: Mm.
1: You don't really... You don't really talk about that, yeah. You know, that's the generation that says well, you have to wait three months before you tell anybody you're pregnant, just in case something happens. I see, yeah. Um, that's that's the so when I do speaking engagements, mm-hmm. I speak to um, women's groups, women's Bible studies, women's ministry groups often, and I will always, always have some sweet little old lady come up to me take my hand and say I never told anyone about this oh but gosh. and then they tell me their story and they're 75 85 90 years old wow. and they've held this in for decades because mm. it just wasn't acceptable yeah. to be to be talking about it right like it's something private oh my goodness you know um and so I've had men tell me the same thing, but even men of my own generation and younger who've said I don't have anybody to talk about this with. Right. And I think that that's we're doing we're doing people a disservice when we don't allow their stories to be heard. Yeah. Because definitely. there's there's power in our stories. There's power telling our stories. There's power in hearing other people's stories and joy has this beautiful expression and she calls it holding hope and so when we're going through something that's just terrible right and it it applies to grief it could apply to other situations as well mm-hmm. but we're going through this thing and we can't really we can't really see our hope right even if we're people of faith we we sometimes we struggle and sometimes we struggle spiritually and we don't know why this has happened or how the situation is going to resolve itself. And you know we're in a, we're in the midst of a crisis. By sharing our story with somebody, she says that that person can then hold our hope for us and walk beside us. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of story: is we allow other people to hold our hope for us. Mm. And. That's part of what this book is, that was her and I, our intention was to allow people to tell their stories, to allow people to read those stories, to know that they're not alone in that situation, and that um, other people can help carry their hope with them when they feel hopeless.
0: Mm. Man, that's powerful.
1: It is. I wish it were mine. It's all joy. (laughs) That is powerful. It's, it, but it's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. And I can't tell you how many times I've stolen that for sermon illustrations. Yeah. But, you know, um, there's something about knowing that people care enough to hear our pain mm-hmm. that, that helps us in that moment. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah. Wow. And I can only imagine for men um, how hard it would be. I mean, it's just... <coughs> It's hard enough for me to 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 sit and hear another man's story that mm-hmm. who lost a child I, this just happened not too long ago for me is that you know there was a person that I was um, connecting with and he was in the situation where he was dealing with a um, a medical emergency with his son mm-hmm. and um, he uh, when he was at the other facility he had to take some medication to help him relieve his um, anxiety and it kind of knocked him out and Mm -hmm. so that's why I engaged with him because he was at our facility and Mm -hmm. he was asleep while his son was dealing with this whole whole emergency and his Mm. mother was there you know his family was there Mm -hmm. and by the time they came to our facility that we had to kind of like um, they called me in to to be there because they had to deliver the bad news of him Losing his son and so it's always awful. It's it's an awful thing And it's like hard for me to sit there and to to be with him, be present yeah. without feeling my own empathy with him you know yeah. and putting myself in his shoes, you know, because we yeah. were similar in age and similar with our son's age and uh, You know that imagination just like was really hard for me And yeah. I think a lot of people feel that empathy and mm-hmm. that's what they're scared of Yeah, and that's why they're not wanting to hear other people's stories and so I think so yeah. Um, so, like, if you're if you're helping other people to kind of like, how do you help them hear other people's stories? Is there a way that th- advice that you give, or?
2: Mm.
1: Well, don't talk.
0: <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't talk. Just yeah. be present. Yeah, yeah.
1: and um, little pithy kind of or pithy, whatever the word is. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Bumper sticker theology, I call it. Yeah,
1: bumper sticker theology. It just doesn't work. Right. You know, it just doesn't work. Just even though it's hard, just sitting there with somebody it just allowing them the time and the grace to just mm-hmm. spill it all out. Right. Whatever it is that they want to say mm-hmm. without without shutting them down, without telling them they need to think about XYZ Mm -hmm. without saying but God has a purpose. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me want to vomit. Yeah. Uh, Or God doesn't give us more than we can handle, which is not in the Bible, which you are (laughs) well aware of. Yeah. Those things are not helpful. Right. Um, Speaking from you know, my experience as having miscarriages, uh, well, something must have been wrong with the baby. Mm. Well, you know what? That's not very helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So just shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, if, you, if you don't know what to say, that's okay. What matters is that you care. And then the people who are sharing their story know that somebody's there caring about them enough to just listen, mm-hmm.
2: just listen.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we're when we're helping and walking with people in grief or if we're going through our own grief, you know, I storytelling is is one way um, in in trying to connect. But what if people are like lost in their connection in the divine?
1: Mm. You know, Yeah.
0: some people lose that sense of like faith. Mm-hmm. so to speak, in, in the mm-hmm. in the higher being, you know, with yeah. God or whatever, no matter what your religion is. Yeah. So how do you help people kind of like remake that connection? Because oftentimes God is blamed. Yeah. Um, I did. Yeah. And, I, and <laughs> God's a big God in my, in my theology yeah. and that God can take that. Yeah. Um, however, I do also think, you know, we need to help making that connection with the divine again, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how, what, what was the process for you?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I can say that it was, it was a hard, long road back. Um, I, uh, I, have, I have a story for you. Okay. Okay. So our son, who's now 18, he was two when I had cancer. So the year I had two miscarriages and the year I had cancer, he was two. And the kind of cancer I had, um, I'd have radiation all at once. And it was thyroid cancer, so you have to have this big dose. So I couldn't hold him for 30 days after. Whoa. So he was two. And he didn't understand. hmm Right? I loved him. I loved him so much. Um, and he didn't understand why I couldn't hold him. And so one day... We we were at home just the two of us because of course Corey you know was going to work and I would I would stay home and I would I would kind of set up the living room in our apartment like turn the coffee table on edge and kind of like block him in there <laughs> mm-hmm. and I would basically lay on the couch all day and watch TV and just watch him play because I was just so tired. Mm-hmm. And one day, I don't know, he, he fell, or something happened. And we were, we were in the hallway of the apartment, and he started crying. So I patted his head, right? And he came up to me with his little blankie, and he held out his arms up above his head, and he looked at me, and he said, Mama, hold. Mama, hold. And he's just crying, just not just crying, he's sobbing. His little two-year-old heart is Mm -hmm. broken because all I can do is pat him on the head and say, mama loves you, I can't hold you. And he looked at me like I had abandoned him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just looked at me like I did not love him anymore. Like, he just did not know what had happened. And I felt that way about God. Mm. You know, that God had abandoned me. That God didn't love me. That I was new in ministry. This is my first year of ministry, by the way. And I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this call. I'm I'm trying to live this out. And I just get knock after knock after knock. And so, finding my way back, it was a long hallway, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, it was dark, and it was, um, it took a long time. It took a long time, and I don't think there's a magic answer of, like, do this, and your faith, your faith becomes rich and vibrant again. Mm -hmm. I think it goes through, for me, my faith went through its own kind of death and rebirth. And it just took time.
2: Yeah.
1: It took time. And and, and what helped was people letting me talk about it. You know, talk about how I felt like God wasn't around. You know, and not judging me for it. Mm -hmm. And how I would say things like You know, there, you know, some people talk about, oh, you know, read your Bible, read your scripture and that, that helps your faith. Well, it just wasn't doing a whole lot for me. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry and I was so hurt and I was so grieved that I didn't have the words to pray. Wow. You know, I had, I didn't have the words to pray. And so I would sit there sometimes at three AM because everything always seems completely rational and together at three AM, right? (laughs) And I would cry and I would I would get all, you know, upset. But I would just tell God I don't even know what to say.
2: Mm.
1: And I would just sit there. Yeah. You know? And like you said earlier, you know, in your theology God is a pretty big God. And I think, looking back, I can see the ways in which people cared for me and people loved me through it, and um, I think, just like my physician said at the time, going through cancer treatment, she said, you know what, with something like this, you just have to put your head down and put one foot in front of the other, and some days it's like swimming through mud and other days it's a little easier. And I think sometimes, for me, that's what my spirituality has been like. Mm -hmm. Just in that time, putting my foot in front of the other foot with my head down and saying, all right, God, I know you're here. Mm -hmm. I don't feel it. Part of me doesn't believe it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to the little bit I have left and see what happens. Man. Um so.
0: That's great. <laughs>
2: well
1: that's
0: that's beautiful. It's real. It is real.
1: You know, and in the book, it's not this Pollyanna kind of Jesus loves you, wants you to be happy, so God's gonna give you a baby kind of stuff, because that's just baloney. Right. Right? Uh, one thing that one of the chapters talks about, uh, Danae talks about her struggles with infertility mm-hmm. and and what does that mean for her in her theology and her quest to be a mother. And, um, you know, she still never had a baby. And, you know, she's done beautiful work beyond the book. Um written plays and done a documentary and all sorts of beautiful beautiful work we're not promised things like that right Right. and so one thing that joy and i were really conscious of is that we wanted to write a book that was real because we didn't find one Mm. when we needed one the most i see You know, we found things of like, everything's going to be okay. Well, you know what? You don't know that everything's going to be okay. Right. And um, some of the women, like Diane, her infant son died. You can't say everything's going to be okay Mm -hmm. because it's not. Right. You know, you learn to live with it. so,
0: I don't know. Yeah. I, I think about the stories in the Bible and like how people, they mm-hmm. like, well, Sarah, she was infertile for a long time and mm-hmm. God blessed her with that. And then you think about the story about Hagar and then you think about the story of yeah. Mary and all yeah. this other stuff and like how that could be yeah. used in an unhelpful way. Yeah. but also in another helpful way I, I, I don't know did, yeah. did, did any of you the work in the book
1: yeah yeah we've talked a lot about that and I've had a lot of conversations with women clergy friends since then uh, um, you know a friend who's who really struggled with infertility and talked about how unhelpful those stories were because those women ended up with babies mm-hmm. those stories are about theology they're not about babies. Mm-hmm. You know, those stories are not about. um, Those stories are
0: about the men. Mm. (laughs) I'm going to have to reread those now (laughs) that you said that. uh,
1: You know, Sarah's journey with infertility, that promise was made to Abraham. That's right. That's right. You know, um. Mm. Those stories are not about babies. Mm-hmm. Bathsheba lost her son.
0: Yeah.
1: Now that's a complicated story um, because it depends on how you how you read the story of David and Bathsheba and their interaction. Um, regardless of how uh, you read David's actions mm-hmm. in that story, uh, her son died. Through no fault of her own right um the the biblical stories to me do not seem as concerned with the women in their grief as they do with the men
0: mm.
2: my yeah. perspective
0: no no i mean that's great <laughs> i mean we need to have those perspectives and you know rethink those stories and yeah. Because I come with the lens, you know. And well, you know,
1: like Mary, you know, yeah, that can be about her, but that's also about God, and that's also about Jesus, and you know, Elizabeth. Um, you know, what's what's the plan there with John? And and I don't, I don't know that those stories have a whole lot to do with the women. Mm-hmm. I don't find a lot of comfort in them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. <laughs>
1: other but you know what if other women do that's okay too yeah you know they can they can find their comfort where i can and that's that is part of the beauty of the biblical narrative is that we can all come with with different needs we can all come with different perceptions different lenses we can come with different hopes and read the biblical narrative and somehow In a way that I do not understand, Mm -hmm. God comforts us and speaks to us through those narratives. There's a verse in Isaiah, and now that I say that, I've like completely blanked about this specific scripture, but um, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, um, and God said, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? Mm -hmm. And I think that just small little fragment of scripture gives me a lot of comfort. That's great. Because for some things, there are just no words. Right. And so our hearts cry out to God, and God receives that Mm -hmm. and loves us and is with us,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, even when we don't know what to say. Yeah.
0: So, when you come across other people who are non-Christians or Mm -hmm. of other religious beliefs or atheists, how do you help them find the comfort?
1: That's a good question. You know, but we all have, when when we talked earlier about what's my definition of spirituality, okay, so first of all, that's my definition of spirituality. Mm -hmm. But other people have other things that bring them comfort, and so... You know, sometimes, if it's appropriate in the conversation, I might ask, what's helped you in the past? Mm -hmm. You know, what brings you strength? Who who in your life do you have that can hear you say this again? Mm. You know, and I, I encourage those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, <laughs> that's a question that we can ask everybody. Yeah, right? it
1: is. And, you know, so I see that through a lens of, of you know, we're all spiritual beings and we all have connection. And, you know, not everybody sees it that way. Right. And, and that's okay. That's just what informs me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But other people have ways that they find meaning, too. Mm-hmm. We all, I think... All of humanity, we all strive for meaning-making in our lives. And so what is that meaning? Where does somebody find hope? Where does somebody find strength, yeah. courage? Um, where does somebody find love? Mm. That's a commonality that I think we have regardless of what our religious beliefs are.
0: Yeah, that's just the human experience. Yeah.
1: you know, I love it. But, I, you know, that I think even it goes back to hearing, yes. hearing somebody's story. It doesn't matter what religion they are or what religion they're not. If, if I sit there and hear them speak words to their pain, does it really matter if we believe the same thing or not? <laughs> I think, I think not.
0: That's, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's a chaplain answer, right? That's a chaplain <laughs> answer. I love that chaplain <laughs> answer. So, if uh, people wanted to get a hold of your book, Yeah. where would they go?
1: Well, Judson Press published it, so their website carries it. Okay. They uh, can get it through any book re- retailer.
0: Like Amazon?
1: Amazon, Cokesbury. their bookstore around the corner might not carry it, but can certainly order it for them. Uh, it is on Amazon. It's, can be bought.
0: Yeah. Can you say the name and title again?
1: Sure. Still a Mother Journeys Through Perinatal Bereavement.
0: Okay. And then if a person wanted to invite you to their community group or their church to speak, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Rev Tabitha, R-E-V-T-A-B-A-T-H-A dot Johnson at gmail.com.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much, Tabitha, for coming and doing this interview. I mean, this time went by quick, uh, <laughs> so I try to keep it in thirty minutes. <laughs> so. You're awesome, Jose.
1: Thanks for asking me. This yeah. is a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, October is perinatal awareness month, right? Um, and so it's it's a timely
0: timely timely discussion, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so many things happen in October and November with the right yeah uh, awareness months so all right tabitho again thank you very much for coming um i also want to say thank you to sam billen who gave us the music for the show i also want to thank the national benemis association if it wasn't for them we wouldn't have launched in the first place and finally i want to thank you the listener thank you for tuning in thank you for supporting this podcast uh, you could always go to our patreon page Go to our website to support us. And you can find us on any social media platform. And on that note, this is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.